This is the Chamber Chat Podcast, the show dedicated to chamber professionals to spark ideas and to get actionable tips and strategies to better serve your members and community. Hello, Chamber Champions. Welcome to Chamber Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Burton, and it's my goal to introduce you to people and ideas to better help you serve your chamber members and your community. Our title sponsor is Community Matters, Inc. With nearly 20 years in the chamber industry and over 100 media awards presented to their chamber partners, Community Matters provides the R&R that every chamber needs, revenue and recognition. When it comes to publishing a chamber map, directory, or community guide, Community Matters has the trusted experience to help your chamber accomplish your goals. With different advertising sales models and publication styles, Community Matters will help you create a non-dues revenue machine. Let's hear from Becky Womble, President and CEO of the Bastrop Chamber, to hear about her experience using Community Matters. I've been using Community Matters for probably six or seven years now. And um, in a previous life, I sold commercial printing. So I can highly recommend Community Matters because it's a complete turnkey job for any busy chamber exec. Um, Basically, you give them a membership list. And from there, they contact your members and it's no high pressure sales or anything. And it really is a complete turnkey job from start to finish. And it's a wonderful, beautiful printed product whenever you're finished. And I just, I'm very sold on Community Matters. And with a printing background, I just, big endorsement for me. To learn how Community Matters can support your chamber with your next publication, please visit communitymattersinc.com slash podcast to request your free media kit and request a proposal to find out what kind of non-dues revenue you can generate. Our guest for this episode is Mary Byers. Mary is co-author for of Race for Relevance, Five Radical Changes for Associations, and Road to Relevance, Five Strategies for Competitive Associations. She's the former director of communications and member services for the Illinois Dental Society and served in that capacity for nine years prior to starting her consulting business in 1998. Mary specializes in working with volunteer association leaders and chief staff executives to help define their roles and clarify their vision through leadership conference programming, facilitating strategic planning retreats and coaching. Mary is a certified association executive and a certified speaking professional. She's also the author of nine books. But Mary, I'm excited to have you with us today on Chamber Chat Podcast. I'd love to give you a moment to say hello to all the Chamber champions that are out there listening and to share something interesting about yourself so we can all get to know you a little better. Oh, I appreciate that, Brandon. I'm delighted to be here. And I love the impact that chambers make on the business leaders in the community and the communities themselves. So uh, extra special uh, day for me uh, in terms of uh, helping encourage your audience. Uh, Something interesting about me that not many people know is that I am a frustrated tap dancer. I love it. My feet just don't move as quickly as I would like them to. And I'm also um, a amateur improv uh, lover. So that's, I've uh, been taking some improv lessons lately and I'm looking forward to more. That's awesome. I can see where the speech and improv have some correlations and some crossover when you're on the stage and needing to think on the fly. So it goes along with professional development, right? (laughs) I I think it it definitely, definitely for, uh, in in my case, especially, sure. Right. Absolutely. Well, 
normally I would ask you how, you know, about your chamber size, staff, budget, but since you're not a chamber, let's just tell us a little about a little bit about the consulting work you do, kind of who you try to work with, the impact you try to make, the kind of course that you take, and just give us a little bit of background. Well, I started as an association staffer uh, for one uh, state level organization and one for an international organization. And that led into the work that I do now. And I work with a wide variety of organizations, uh, trade associations, professional membership societies, and I work with them of all shapes and sizes. I've worked with over 400 of them. And that gives me a view of what's happening, what's challenging organizations, but I also recognize that each is unique and they have their own culture, history, and traditions. So I love being able to encourage association chamber professionals to share what I'm seeing in the marketplace and then to provide some resources for them so that as they grow uh, in their roles and in their organizations, they have some resources to help them do that. Absolutely. That's great work you're involved with. So uh, for our topic for our discussion today, we settled on the idea of talking about innovation and experimentation. And I love this idea because chambers of commerce, as you're probably aware, and, and I would venture to say associations in general are always looking to, you know, what they can do to remain relevant to their members and, and the people they serve. So I think innovation and experimentation is crucial to remaining relevant. And we will dive much deeper into this conversation as soon as we get back from this quick break. Are you looking for a year-round affordable and timely shop local campaign for your chamber or CVB? Look no further. Build a custom Eat Shop Play mobile app with App My Community by visiting appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat. App My Community mobile apps are not just simple membership directory listings. They provide many more capabilities to engage with your community. Provide your residents with a robust events calendar. Partner with a local fair, festival, or farmer's market to provide a schedule, map, and other resources to promote the event. Run a small business Saturday campaign any time of the year using built-in scavenger hunts. Allow your membership to communicate directly to their customers via push notifications. Your App My Community mobile app will be a unique member benefit, allow you to generate non-dues revenue with sponsorship opportunities, and best of all, provide a valuable resource to your community. Please visit appmycommunity.com slash chamberchat now to receive 10% off your first year of an App My Community mobile app. Are you a community leader or chamber of commerce looking to grow your non-dues revenue around your core community? Are you in an area not already served by a chamber of commerce? Look no further than Chamber Nation's new platform, Pippoli. Pippoli is a perfect solution for adding commerce to areas where a chamber may not exist or to expand the reach of a regional chamber. With Pippoli, you can easily connect with local businesses and promote your services to a wider audience. Don't miss out on this opportunity to expand your reach and increase your revenue. Visit richardscalendar.com to learn more about Chamber Nation and Pippoli today. Hi, it's me, Donna from Yifty. Have I mentioned that we're working with chambers and other leaders on community cards in more than 500 cities across the U.S.? Yifty is the undisputed leader in community cards because we did it first and have learned a lot 
and because it's free for you to set up and free for your members to participate. Plus, we do all the heavy lifting for you. Many chambers have chamber checks or other similar programs. Imagine the benefits of those without the extra costs of staffing, creating and tracking checks, and reconciling payments. Community cards are all digital, sold online, and always available on the cardholder's cell phone. We provide tons of training and marketing materials. Come check us out at yifte.com, Y-I-F-T-E-E.com, or email sales at yifte.com. Back to you, Brandon. All right, Mary, we're back from our, our break there. And as I mentioned before we, uh, we took that pause, we're focusing our discussion today around innovation and experimentation. And I know as the author of the book, Race for Relevance, uh, this correlates very well. But I guess, first of all, what, what should chambers and associations be thinking about now as we're sitting in 2023 and, and I, I hope we're safe in saying post-pandemic? What are, what are some of those things they should be focusing on? Well, first of all, let me define how I think about innovation. If I walked into the room and said, I want you to come up with a new program and service from scratch, that's intimidating, it's overwhelming, it's hard to do. So when I talk about innovation, I'm really talking about doing something differently. And when you look at it that way, we're looking at small changes, possibly making big differences. We're looking at experimentation, as you mentioned, and we'll talk more about that as we go along, but but small risks, calculated risks, and then learning from the market as we take some of those small risks. And then the other thing that I would encourage people to be thinking about is what I call the 10% pledge. And that is committing to evolve 10% of what you're currently doing whether it's 10% of your fundraising, 10% of your programming, 10% of your special projects, 10% of your communications. That way you are engaged in continuous innovation or continuous improvement, which some organizations call it. And it doesn't become a thing that we have to go to the board and ask for permission to do. It becomes something that becomes part and parcel of who we are. And we know that members' needs were changing prior to the pandemic, as I like to call it, because I think that's just an apt description of what we've been through. And they're, they're changing as a result on the other side as well, too. And if we are continuously evolving, then we don't have to engage in these big projects or big programs or big changes. And, and there might need to be some revolutionary innovation. But I think evolutionary innovation is more realistic for chambers, quite honestly. Yeah. In fact, as you're talking about that 10% pledge, I think as chambers often, if they have an event or you know something of that nature, they're conducting surveys and collecting data either along the way or post-event. And <clears throat> excuse me, collecting that data is perfect to, to put into that 10% as you're talking about to be able to make those incremental changes as evolutionary changes to continue improving and staying relevant. So I think that's a, a great tip. Well, and I'm surprised by how many organizations do surveying, especially post-event surveying. And then when it's time to plan next year, somehow that data has Don't gone. look at it. <laughs> yes, we don't look at it. We don't use it. 
And yet, if we're really listening to our market and our members, and we're hearing what's being said, many of the ideas that would help us innovate are there. We don't even have to come up with them. We just have to respond to them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I, I think that's that's great. So the, the explanation you had there about how you look at innovation and, and experimentation, I think is is great for kind of setting that mindset as we go about our discussion today. But um, maybe going back to that question about what what associations and chambers need to be thinking about as we're in this post-pandemic timeframe? If, if I were sitting in a leadership role with an organization, uh, I would be asking several questions. One would be, have members' needs and expect, expectations changed? And if so, how? I would be asking, what can we help members do that they can't do for themselves? because I think that helps lead to our value proposition. And I would also be asking, how can we help members work less stressfully, more profitably, and more productively? And I think one of the things that challenge chambers, quite honestly, is you don't have just one type of business represented in the chamber. You're not all restaurants, you're not all retail stores. And every group has different needs. And so it's, I guess, another thing that I would encourage them to think about is segmenting their membership and taking a look at the different categories represented. And then if you think about a Venn diagram, you know, that harkens back to grade school or high school, uh, what are the commonalities? So if you do have restaurants and you do have golf courses and you do have retail shops, Where are the common needs? And then if you can focus on those common needs, you're going to be relevant to more of your membership rather than being fragmented. And when everything is important, nothing is important. So I think an exercise of this nature helps focus. And when we focus, we can make more of an impact. Absolutely. And um, I, I couldn't agree more in trying to to figure out what are those common needs. And, and oftentimes a Venn diagram is a, a good way to visualize that, see where all that overlap is and where to, where to focus that, that time and effort. Um, I think uh, as we are recording this for May of 2023, um, technology is a buzz right now with all sorts of things from blockchain to AI to you name it. But um, how do you see technology, uh, the relevance of technology for a chamber and, you know, the the relevance of it in, in adopting it and experimenting with it? Race for Relevance came out in 2011. And in 2021, we produced an anniversary, 10th anniversary edition. And one of the things I'm proud of is the fact that the chapter on technology completely changed. The base tenet, meaning that technology is extremely important to how we deliver programs and service was the same, but we had new case studies, new data. We believe that this has to be an important aspect of strategy for organizations. So in addition to a strategic plan, I believe all chambers should also have a technology plan. uh, Years ago, a friend of mine who's a realtor suggested that we look around every year in our house and ask if we were going to sell our home this year, what would we need to do and pick one project and do it? 
And the reason she suggested that is then we could enjoy the upgrades while we were living in the home rather than waiting to upgrade before we sold the home. And we also would be ready then when it was time to sell the home. There wouldn't be a long list of things that we had to do because we had been keeping up with it. And I think the same thing is true with Chambers. I think each year we need to look around and say, if we were going to upgrade our technology, what would we do? And then we need to go do it. We actually, in 2011, we took a look at what percentage associations were spending on technology. It was 4.1% of their budgets. (laughs) And when you take that out of that, it was actually 1.6%. And yet when you look at the impact that technology has on how we can deliver member programs and services, it's huge. So our research showed that for-profit companies were spending around 7 to 8% of their gross revenue, not their net, yeah. but their gross technology. So if we were to even aspire to half of that, we would be in a better position. So not only do we need a strategic plan, we need a technology plan. And we need to know, and most, you know, most technology plans are gonna last longer than a year because technology is changing constantly. And as you said, new things are being introduced. AI, we're still looking at the impact of that. But part of the challenge is for many chamber organizations, especially they're varying sizes and they have varying budgets, but we must double down on our commitment to technology. Here's a question, an additional question to be thinking about. And that is how can we take the chamber to members rather than always asking members to come to the chamber. Right. And technology is one way to do that. Absolutely. So I think that's fascinating looking at the percentage being spent on technology in, in associations versus, you know, in the, the for-profit world. And I guess there's the caveat with that is a lot of these technology softwares will say, will have a, a free or maybe a nonprofit rate. So there's reasons you could justify why they spend less and, you know, be, be resourceful by all means. But the point is to start integrating some of that technology in your research and, you know, case studies where there are certain things that stood out to you that would uh, maybe be that like going back to your analogy of getting your house ready for sale Right? Like a kitchen, bathrooms, those things have the biggest ROI, right? So as you look at associations, what kind of things technology-wise would you say have the most ROI to try to impl- implement sooner than later? Uh, making sure that you have a database that is flexible so that you can actually pull data that you need and can use without investing a lot of time into that. I I think a lot of associations don't even realize what kind of data they're sitting on. And so they're not using it. That'd be the first thing that, that making sure that your database is robust and flexible so that it will help you with what you need. We also wanna be thinking about automating and systematizing. Most chambers have smaller staffs. I'm surprised sometimes by the way that we are still manually taking registrations, handling uh, new dues or, you know, new members. So anything that would help us streamline our workload, because we want to free up our staff to do the things that staff does best. And that is relationship building, 
interfacing with members, troubleshooting, solving problems, getting out into the community. So anything that would free up staff time, I think would be an important piece of it. Right. Our web presence absolutely needs to be modern, easy to search, friendly. If you think about it, it is our first impression. When members are interested in joining, they go to the website. So how user-friendly is it? We have to think about the member experience. Can I find what I need when I need it? Are things streamlined? Is it frustrating? How hard is it to use that? I always tell people, go try to join your organization <laughs> and pretend you have never seen your website or your processes before. So see it with fresh eyes and then find the places that are frustrating and then start with those. I would say, I would add, you know, have somebody who's totally not in the chamber world, look at your website, you know, have oh, them, <laughs> right, right. Because <laughs> yeah. then you'll know, is your website telling the story of what your chamber does? Like, will that individual have an understanding of what a chamber is or what your chamber is? Um, yeah. And your points on the, the automation, you know, I, I think of the example of, you know, the dentist, you know, who goes to dental school, they learn how to be a great dentist. That's what they do is they work on teeth. But if they have yep. to spend, you know, 50% of their day doing paperwork and moving things you know, along the process, when there's tools out there that will move it along, and that, that would be the equivalent of the chamber being out there in the community and helping businesses be successful. And there's tools like, like Zapier, you know, that will connect a lot of these other, you know, technologies to be able to move things along in the process automatically and, and relatively inexpensive. So you need to be exploring those different options because there's, there's a lot of great tools, but you got to set aside that, that 10% of the time to, to study it, research it, and explore it, right? Yeah, and that's one of the great things we've seen change in the last 10 years since the first edition of the book was written. We now have more options, more apps, more plugins. It used to be that you would have to do a huge technology upgrade and would go to the board and would get money. And then we would go through all the stress and strain of getting the new application installed. And then we would just live with that right. until it was time to do another upgrade. But you know, much like looking around your house and seeing what needs to be done, we can do that with technology now. And we can, we can say, this is working, this isn't. We need to change this out. We need to plug this in. So we've got more flexibility. And now that we've gone to a service as a subscription model, it's more affordable. So rather than having a huge upfront commitment financially, we can basically pay as we go. Now, that doesn't mean that it's uh, gotten, you know, so much cheaper that technology isn't going to take a bite out of our budget. But I think we have to recognize the power of technology and make sure that it is creating the kind of return on investment that we deserve for that that uh, investment that we're making. When that pay-as-you-go model allows you to experiment a little more too and see if it really does work before you commit to buying a, a whole you know, big price tag package. Um, so I know you, you had shared a tip earlier on this, but I wanted to ask specifically about how to build a culture of innovation uh, at a chamber. You know, there's the old saying of, you know, things have always been done this way. And of course, you want to break that mold. So how do you create a culture where people are thinking kind of what is that next step? What is, what is the thing we can do to improve 
what we do here at our organization? The first thing I think we have to acknowledge is the importance of innovation, because the only way we're going to change is by innovating. And this became an area of interest to me after the book was written, because I started noticing the difference between organizations that were thriving versus those that were just surviving. And those that were thriving were actively innovating. They had a not only a verbal commitment to it, but a strategic commitment to it. They recognize that innovation requires experimentation. And so they change their language around how they even talk about it. They don't talk in terms of success and failure. They talk in terms of success and learning. And so that takes some of the stigma away from innovation. So there has to be a commitment. There has to be, it has to be part of the cultural value. We have to recognize and reward innovation rather than punish it when it doesn't work. And honestly, the board really has to have buy-in for that because the board's role is to make sure that the chamber has the expertise and the funding that they need to innovate. So some organizations actually have a line item in their budget dedicated to innovation so that the staff doesn't have to go to the board every time they wanna try something new. They also, uh, other organizations will uh, earmark a percentage of reserves perhaps each year toward innovation. So we wanna make the barriers to innovation as low as possible. And if I have to beg for money every time I wanna try something new, that certainly doesn't encourage innovation, it actually discourages it. So the board has to really understand the role of innovation, they need to support it, and they need to adequately finance it. Yeah, I like that. I like the whole mindset of success and learning. So it's not success and failure, but success and learning. Yep. Um, So I wanted to ask you, you've got a phrase called dual transformation. So how can dual transformation help a chamber remain relevant? So this is actually a concept from the for-profit world. And dual transformation really means that you service today's business model while you're building the future of the organization. So I'll give you an example of what this might have looked like for a, a group. Uh, one of my clients actually explained it to me as, as flying the airplane while you're still building, you're building it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think that was kind of a good metaphor and, and, you know, very picturesque when you think about keeping a plane afloat while still building it. Um, you know, we've seen a move for, for some organizations to go to a tiered membership model. So this isn't a chamber, but the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association adopted a tiered model in 2016 because they wanted members to essentially be able to choose their own adventure. So they have three package levels. The first level really was for those who were just getting started in veterinary medicine, maybe didn't have a lot of financial resources, but they wanted to offer them a home and access to some education and resources that would be beneficial to them. The middle package was the one they expected most members to take advantage of. And it was the package that offered what previously had been available for their membership. And then the third package essentially was for the whole practice. So you pay more, 
you can enroll as many people in your practice as you want into the membership. And they built the model that way. Other organizations have gone to a subscription model from a membership, annual membership model. They're billing on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. And again, it's flexibility. They're letting their members choose how they want to engage. So those are some examples of small changes that have had a big impact. One group that I'm familiar with when they went to the uh, uh, subscription model, the monthly model, actually increased their membership by 11% just by offering them flexibility. So it wasn't a huge change, although they had a few things they had to do on the back end with the technology and they had to do a little bit of experimentation there to see how that was going to work. But that's one of my favorite things about it, uh, quite honestly, is that small changes can have a big difference. But the dual transformation idea is that you are doing everything you need to do in 2023 to meet members' needs, simultaneously thinking about what your membership model is going to look like, what the business model is going to look like in 2024, 2025, 2026. So it's actually made things a little bit more complex because we have to worry about today and tomorrow at the same time. But it's a concept, I think, that is worth borrowing from for-profit America, especially when we talk to our boards about the complexity of the environment. One of the other things that we've seen change in the last 10 years is competition has heated up and it is coming from all sorts of places. I think we have to acknowledge how that's challenging our models and use innovation to mitigate the impact on chambers. Yeah. No, I like that. The dual transformation, doing what you need to do today while also looking at the future reminds me of the, the Wayne Gretzky quote about skating to where the puck is going, right? He's in the game, he's doing what he needs to do, but he's going to where the puck is going. And I think that's so crucial for us to have our eye on the future and not be left in the past. So now admittedly, Wayne makes it sound really easy right, to know right, where right. he's going. So I think he had a sixth sense that a lot of other hockey players didn't have. Uh, and I'm pretty sure he had eyes on the side and the back of his head too, because that's almost what it takes to be able to skate to where the puck is going. And he already knew how to ice skate. So that's a big accomplishment. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree with that. Right. You're here. So as we begin to, to wrap things up here, I like asking if you have any tip or strategy or action item that you would suggest for listeners who are interested in taking their chamber up to the next level. So this is going to sound too simple and counterintuitive, but it's the best tip I have to offer chamber professionals. And that is get away from the office on a quarterly basis. I've been doing this since 2016. I actually found a retreat center that is close to me. And I check in with a pad of paper, my calendar, and a pen. And I try to minimize electronics. And even if I have a cell phone with me, I put my do not disturb on and I try not to look at it until it's bedtime on the first night. And then I usually work until noon or uh, late in the day, second day. And essentially what I'm doing is I'm dividing my year into quarters and I'm looking at what needs my attention over the next quarter and the next year. 
and I'm making some longer term plans. I'm making some longer strategy plans. One of the first things I did when I started this is I went back and I chunked my career. Okay. What was true about the, the start of my career, what became true about the next piece of my career. And essentially, I was able to identify pivot points. And I think this is value to a chamber exec as well. Set aside some time to go back and look over the past couple of years, past five years, 10 years, your whole your chamber's whole history. Where were there strategic decisions made that allowed the, the uh, chamber to get momentum or to really make an impact? And understanding backwards will actually help you strategize forwards. So that was the long way of saying, I think chamber execs need to get out of the office for at least a day, four times a year, no phones, no members, no interruptions, and strictly think about how they think about strategy and to look at both the past and the future and to look at where they can get pivot points that will help accelerate the value and relevance of their chambers going forward. So as you do this, how long do you take when you, is, is it two days, three days a week? I, usually, uh, I do it overnight and okay. I, uh, on the first day and I spend most of the second day. So I would say on average, it's a day and a half. Okay. So I'm spending three, what is that day and a half, day and a half, three, six, I'm spending six full days a year outside of my office away from any interruptions. And I find that the more time I spend on the front end, the more I gain on the back end. So when I do it, I'm strategizing about my own business, but I'm also strategizing about my clients and how I serve them. And so the equivalent okay. for a chamber would be strategizing about their role, their personal role in growth and development, and then also strategizing on behalf of how the organization serves members and how that's changing. And I really believe that the changes we were seeing before the pandemic have been accelerated, but the pandemic gave sure. us a tailwind. And now we have a choice coming out of this. And I think of it as no longer business as usual, but business as unusual. And how can we harness what's happened for the good of our chambers? I also like to think about whether what we're seeing is for now or forever. Yeah. So we're coming out of the pandemic now. And so some of the trends that we're seeing now may or may not be in existence in two, five or 10 years. But if some of the trends are in existence in two or five years, what does that mean for your organization? For a lot of chambers, they became more relevant because they were answering questions for members about can we open? How can we open? When can we open? What does that look like, depending on what state they were located in? So that crisis actually increased our relevance. What can we learn from where we leaned in during the pandemic that will help us going forward in our chamber? I love that. That's a great, great tip there. Um, so I, I like asking all the guests that I have on the show, as we look to the future of Chambers of Commerce, how would you see the future of chambers and their purpose going forward? I am very bullish on the future of all associations and chambers. However, 
in order to remain relevant, we're going to have to continuously evolve. I do not think that if we stay the same, that we will be as meaningful. Comfort and complacency are the enemy of relevance. And that's why I think every chamber professional needs to be focused on continuously evolving what their business model looks like. Yeah. And that's so difficult, right? We say comfort and complacency are the enemy and and that's all human nature wants is to be comfortable. They don't want to do the hard thing. You don't want to do the painful thing, but those are the things that see growth and positive change is being able to push through and get out of that comfort zone. So I think that's a but I think a it's tip. because there was so much stress and pressure and uh, innovating on the fly. I, I think for many people, we're sort of like, in a, we're in recovery mode right now. We're sort of like, Whew, wow, we made it through that. But we also built resilience muscles. And my biggest fear is that we, our desire to go back is stronger than our desire to create a proactive go forward strategy. So I do think there is a role for rest and recovery, but we have to be careful that that doesn't become our modus operandi. Uh, You know, we were tired, we were overwhelmed, we got through it. Now we got to keep going. Right. Absolutely. Well, Mary, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate the, the point of view and perspective that you bring to this topic. I wanted to give you an opportunity to share any contact information for listeners who might want to reach out and learn more and connect with you. What would be the best way for them to do that? I appreciate that, Brandon. Thank you. It's simply my first and last name, M-A-R-Y-B-Y-E-R-S.com. There are resources there. And I also have associationinnovation.today. We did a report with Loyalty Research Center where we took a look at what high-performing innovative organizations are doing, and there is a free report there. So anybody that's interested in building an innovative culture in their organization can access that report. There's a lot of food for thought. We talk about weak innovation culture, strong innovation cultures. We talk about how it's funded, and uh, we just talk about what you should be thinking about if you want to be an innovator. Awesome. Yeah, everybody needs to take you up on that and go see that that free report. So we'll we'll have both of those websites linked in our show notes for this episode so people can hop on there and and click through to the the websites. But Mary, thank you for spending time with us today on Chamber Chat Podcast for sharing your insights and and the, you know, future looking vision that you have for associations and and chambers of commerce. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my privilege to be here. And thank you for the work that you do, because I believe that educating, encouraging, connecting, and allowing people to tap into other people's good ideas is where many forms of innovation come from. So thanks for your work as well. If you are a chamber professional, please subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. When you subscribe to Chamber Chat Podcast, new episodes will show up in your podcast app each week as they are released. If you're finding value in this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review in iTunes. But most importantly, please share Chamber Chat Podcast with your colleagues that are in the industry. Have you ever thought about creating a podcast for your chamber? We always hear about how chambers need to be storytellers. 
What better way is there to tell the stories of your members and the work of your chamber than through a podcast? Your audience is waiting to hear from you as a convener of leaders and influencers, champion for business, and catalyst for change within your community. I just launched a chamber podcast course with the goal to get your very own podcast started within 30 days. Visit chamberchatpodcast.com slash pivot to learn more and to enroll in the Chamber Podcast course today.